You're listening to The Broken Meeple Show, a podcast that speaks passionately about board games for the benefit of those who play them. My name's Luke Hector, best known for The Broken Meeple YouTube channel, and I'm an everyday gamer just like you. And I'll be talking about reviews, top tens, and just about anything that connects me to board games, as long as I have a tea or coffee in hand, that is. So grab a cup, relax, and enjoy. And remember, it's only a game. Hello folks, welcome to another podcast episode. This is August the 8th, 2021 on like 11 o'clock in the morning on Sunday. Yes, uh, I get up out of bed, I have my breakfast and then I decide, you know what, let's get the podcast done and dusted uh, because, well, you know, I got other blog stuff to get on with. The Games Expo, shall we say, put me behind a little bit on schedule because I, that, you know, that weekend normally would be used up for getting a lot of blog stuff done. And obviously I was away for three days and then I come back and I got to work all week. So, you know, and even this weekend has been taken up with some social activity. So today is kind of like my get stuff done for the blog day. It really needs to be like, I need, need to get back on track because there's a lot of stuff coming. But all in all, pretty good, actually. I mean, the worst of what's been happening at work is kind of over in a sense. I mean, we're still, you know, we still got a lot of work to do. We're still catching up on a lot, but I've recently got up to date with a massive project. You know, some of the worst stuff that happens up until July is done. And we've got news of like more staff coming in. So sooner or later, as the year goes on, I think things are going to improve. So stress, I should be a lot better as time goes on, trying to maintain that along with uh, doing the blog. Although, I will be going back to the office for part of the week as well. So, you know, I'll be at home sometimes and that. So, you know, things are starting to return to a bit of normality, I guess, in terms of um, my work life. In terms of the blog, things are still pretty good on that front, though. I mean, there hasn't been a huge amount of content lately, mainly because of, as I say, I've been away at the expo and doing other stuff. But I've made up for that recently with some live content that we're doing so the most recent review i did on july the 28th was well actually two reviews i did one was imperium so the new imperium card game that's really been a hotness for 2021 so far from david turksy and nigel buckle i've done a full review of what the two sets are like so if you want to check out what i think of that then have a look at the review it's doing pretty well so far and then on a bit of a lighter note, I've also done a review for a game called Die of the Dead, which is a new game. It was an indie game from Radical 8 Games at uh, Games Expo. It's a dice game based on the Day of the Dead uh, ceremony at, you know, where you sort of commiserate your, uh, commiserate your loved ones. And it's a really nice little dice game. Good laugh, nice, light and fluffy. I recommend checking out review if you want to know more about that. But in terms of the live content, I last night, literally last night, what like like less than 12 hours ago, I did a live stream with Billy Indiana. Billy Indiana is a content creator from California in the US. Small channel, less than 300 subs, but does a lot of content of unboxings and some Kickstarter coverage and some like spotlight reviews and that. Uh, multi-talented individual, certainly in his personal life. And, you know, definitely a very nice bloke. So definitely worth giving a look on his channel for hashtag support small creators. But last night we talked about our favorite games that utilize an Oriental Asian theme. So if you want to check out what we thought on those, then please do. It's a long stream, about a couple of hours, but the list only takes about an hour. We spent a long time live chatting with, you know, well, the live chat and checking out honorable mentions and their suggestions. And we had a blast. It was so much fun um, communicating with the chat on that one. So that's why I thought, oh, forget it. We're just going to go on as long as we care about. So about an hour of that stream is us talking with the live chat. So very much on the fly, that one. 
But next Tuesday, and well, the Billy and the Anna one was originally postponed, and then I got it done on that Saturday. This one was also meant to happen earlier this week, but it got postponed due to some personal reasons on uh, Paul Grogan's side. But yes, Paul Grogan and I are doing our top 10 thematic Euro games. This is going to be a blast. I've wanted to do something with Paul Grogan for a long time. It's kind of like me going up in the world, actually. You know, now suddenly it's not a small creator, but... You know, I think more love needs to go to gaming rules and the channel as a whole and Paul Grogan, because let's face it, a lot of these games behind me, like the little Surders and some of the Mind Clashes and that, you would not know how to play these games if it wasn't for the likes of Paul Grogan helping out with the rulebook and doing his great tutorial videos. And he does a lot of playthroughs on his channel. He's a very friendly bloke. He's from my neck of the woods. You know, he lives in Devon. I'm originally from Somerset. I think he literally is about half an hour down the road from where I used to live. So they're very close to home. So you're going to get two West Country UK folk talking about thematic Euros. And Euros are not the first thing you would go to for a really strong theme. So I think we're going to have some interesting clashes, debates, you know, disagreements. And I think it's going to be a great stream. That one is uh, Tuesday, the 8th, uh, August the 10th, uh, Tuesday, 8 p.m. Sorry, yeah, August the 10th, 2021, Tuesday, 8 p.m. British Standard Time. So, you know, that's going to be pretty sweet. It may get slightly delayed to 9 p.m. BST, but I'll let you know in advance if that happens. I mean, it's very difficult to tie Paul Grogan down to a specific time. You know, I'm flexible, but uh, he is not. So, you know, I think I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be great, that one. So uh, this stream is going to be a little bit different from the usual format because I want to just go over some news very briefly. And then I just want to talk about the UK Games Expo because I was there last weekend. It feels like so long ago now, but... I, I had a blast. It was very different to the UK Games Expo of old. And so it's it's one of those things where like, okay, fine, you know, it's going to be different because of the uh, like post-COVID regulations and that. But it was just nice to go back to a convention. And I want to give some detail as to what I played, what I did, you know, and basically just talk about the conventions uh, on this stream. So uh, without further ado, let's just get on with some news quickly before we go on to that main event. Uh, Myra Kaibo, the Alexander Fister game that's very popular. It's even on my shelf. I like the card play in it, but I don't really much care for the solo campaign in it because it's like, whoopee, it's not exactly a, a gripping story. But I like it as a multiplayer game to play every now and again. But it is kind of like on and off as to whether I want it in my collection. This is one of those ones that might get cold in the future. Well, there's an expansion for it, The Uprising, that's coming out later this year. Maybe in time for Essen, we're not sure, but maybe just after. And it's apparently got some modules and scenarios about pushing the nations out of the Caribbean and uh, asymmetrical player abilities, new optional stories and legacy tiles and more project cards. So basically just more of the same, really. Question is, I don't know, does the game need more stuff? I mean, I'm, I'm up for more player. I'm up for player powers and more project cards, but I'm not sure I need a whole new solo campaign in that because let's face it, the solo campaign was the least liked thing about the original game from my personal perspective because the story didn't make sense. Time kind of flowed in a weird fashion in that campaign. And I don't know, it just... I wasn't that into it. Maybe I maybe I need to give it another go at some point. Maybe I just didn't like it the first time round. But uh, yeah, maybe I should like replay it. But I played through the campaign and thought it was okay at best. You know, so maybe another campaign on this, you know, finely tuned will be good. Maybe it will give me the boost I need. But I'm gonna have to make a decision as to whether I'm gonna cull this game before it comes out uh, or I'm gonna keep it. So I'm, I'm gonna need to get it to the table at some point and see. But there's a lot of my Archibo fans out there, so you want an expansion? This is basically an auto-buy for you. 
Uh, next up, we got Nurishima Hex Portal Games. They are redoing the app, and Nurishima Hex is one of the best apps out there. I don't personally use it because I'm not a particularly talented Nurishima Hex player, but I know the app is really good. I have used it. It's a great piece of technology. Well, they are basically redoing it for September 21. It's coming to the iOS App Store and Google Play, and it's essentially a revamp of the app. So, you know, new visuals, I'm sure, you know, smoother transitions and everything like that so basically updated because the last app i think came out in 2010 so it's like it's an oldish app but before you get on my case and think oh my god no what about what are my purchases and that they have said and it's quoted here in fact where does it say uh players who bought the previous edition of the mobile app will be able to download it for free okay now the problem and it also says other factions was it it will come out with four factions and other factions introduced by the expansions will be added in future updates and will unlock automatically, free of charge, to players who purchase them from the original Nirishima Hex app. So you're not losing out on this. You are basically getting a better app for free. For someone like me, I'd have to buy it and obviously buy the expansions. And I might get in on this one because I don't have the original app. Maybe I'll get this new revamped version and see what it's like. Because, I mean, the game is cool. It's just not a game that I would find myself playing very often. But, you know, I like these kind of two-player you know, tactical uh, abstract games, you know, they are pretty cool. So I'm interested to see how this does. I'll have to give it a little play around in September. But yeah, for those who are big fans of the app, uh, the you know, you've got some good stuff on the way. And then on to some more solemn news. Now, now, honestly, if you have like, unless you stay off the internet entirely, you should know about this already. But I still got to talk a little bit about it. And that is uh, TMG, Tasty Mental Games. They designed some good games. I've got uh, Coliseum. Pioneer Days, Old West Empresario, uh, an eminent domain on my shelf. And there are some other uh, TMG games that I'm sure are pretty good as well. But they have basically gone into the negative. So they have essentially done virtual bankruptcy and they've laid off staff. Pretty much everybody but the owner is there. Uh, there's no game development anymore. The Dice Tower commented on a recent news video if you want to get even more detail. But basically their book value is in the negative. And so everything's kind of on halt, you know, while they try and, in a sense, build up back up or pay off some debts and that. So it's, uh, yeah, sad news. It's sad when a publisher sort of goes under or, you know, stops producing games. But basically, if they had anything in mind, like Kickstarter or future updates, I would basically just not hold your breath about anything being done with that. Because I think it's going to be at least another, they say, next two to three years. I think it's going to be longer. I think four to five years before TMG comes back, and that's assuming they even come back at all. So that's pretty much gone, really. But I would certainly say that if you can find any Taste of Mitchell games on shelves, go get them, especially if they're on clearance somewhere. Before people try to scalp you with stupid prices for TMG games that are you know going to be out of print and hard to get hold of, Grab yourself some Tasty Minstrel games, even if you're not even sure you'll like the game. Just grab it anyway, because I guarantee you, you will at least sell it back for its value to somebody who wants to get some of Tasty Minstrel's games. But do not become a scalper trying to sell like Scoville for £100 or something. It's like, no, don't do that. But yeah, definitely, I think, get a look on them. I mean, I'm pretty glad that I got Eminent Domain and the Escalation expansion on my shelf now before they went under, because I got it dirt cheap. I mean, I got it for... 18 pounds from my local cafe and 15 quid on ebay for the expansion so you know less than 30 quid no 18 15 sorry yeah you know about just over 30 pound for the game and the expansion 
and the other expansions I've been told are not particularly worth getting. So I've got all I need for eminent domain and I can keep it on my shelf. And that's pretty cheap considering I would imagine that especially the expansion would go up skyrocket in price at some point. So yeah, sad news indeed, but that's the way it is. Unfortunately, you know, COVID and the industry and just shipping calamities at the moment, you know, everything is just basically, you know, it's giving board game publishers a hard time. Mm. Take a little drink there. All right. Okay. So away from that, let's go on to some more happy, happy news. Yes. The UK Games Expo. So this was last weekend and, you know, I went to it. The, this is the sort of thank you page where it's basically saying that the next one is on the 3rd of June to the 5th of June, 2022. I'm a little bit concerned though that I won't be there. And I don't think I will. I, I, maybe I can be there on a Friday, but that's it. The problem is, is that my brother is getting married uh, again in, in that weekend. Yes, they picked that weekend. I mean, of all the weekends they pick in a year, they had to pick the Games Expo. But it's happening up north. They live in the, the sort of Greaseboro area. And I need to be there for that. And I suspect, I think the, week, uh, the wedding is happening on the Saturday. So I'm going to be there for the whole weekend. It's not a short drive from Portsmouth to get there. So it's a weekend job. But if I don't need to be there on the Friday daytime, I could convince myself quite easily, in fact, to go to the expo for the press preview on Thursday and then the Friday like daytime. So, you know, I mean, to get from Birmingham to Greaseboro is still a good few hours drive. But if the wedding's not until Saturday and I just leave five, six o'clock, you know, like pretty much when the trade hall shuts go, then I could possibly be at the expo for Friday and Thursday evening. But that would be it. I'd have to give the rest of it a miss, which makes me sad. But, you know, it's just the way it is. But this expo was good fun. Uh, it was a reduced capacity. I think they had something like, do they got the numbers on this page? I'm not sure. And they've got it on one of their pages. Uh, attendance figures. Here we go. So they got 10,600 uh, unique visitors and 18,500 repeat visitors. So that's pretty good attendance for a convention that had to reduce its capacity by more than half in order to, you know, adhere to COVID social distancing and that. And everybody had a blast. You know, people enjoyed it. Yes, the trade hall was a shadow of its former self. You know, one hall, mostly indie publishers, very few big names, very few big games, period. And, you know, just not a lot. I mean, it took me half a day to go around the trade hall to do everything I wanted to do in terms of demos and games. You know, so all I did was pop back into the trade hall now and again to check if there was any good bargains on the retail stands. But... Yeah, it was a bit of a shame, but I basically spent most of the weekend open gaming and that was good fun because I basically treated this as an excuse to get to a convention and have a good social time. I met a lot of familiar faces that I hadn't seen for ages and even some faces I'd never met before. A few people who helped with the channel or sponsored it or who I've uh, chatted to on emails for things like, you know, collaborations or review copies and that uh, I've never met. And now I actually get to put a face to a name, which is always good. You know, we've had a whole year and a half of not knowing what anyone looks like. Well, now that was improved. And so, yeah, I had a, I had a good time. I, you know, all in all, it was worth going. I, it didn't feel crowded. It felt quite sparse at times, but that was a good thing because it just didn't feel overwhelming. You could walk around, you could stretch your arms out and still not, not whack into anybody. Uh, it didn't feel too hot. It, it, it just, I don't know, it felt calmer. 
much more relaxing for a convention compared to something like you know Gen Con or Essen, which is a like much bigger stress, you know, quite quite a stressful experience in a good way, but quite stressful with the amount of stuff that's going on. And like, oh, I got to rush to the stand to get the hotness. It's like here, didn't happen. I could just strolled around nice and calmly, having to wear a mask annoying but you know you got to but that was the rules but yeah trying to wear a mask and talk to people constantly throughout the trade hall I had to pop outside every now and again just to get a breather but you didn't have to worry about it when you were open gaming so you know I was doing most of that anyway but yeah it was good I enjoyed myself I was glad I went there for the weekend so what did I actually get up to though well as I said mostly open gaming but let's talk about some new games that I played while I was there so why don't we just start with the big one because I know most of you are itching for me to talk about this Descent Legends of the Dark yes I got to sit down and play the full tutorial mission with three other players for Descent Legends of the Dark and this one has had a bit of a controversy over time because people have review bombed it like crazy uh, because it's like oh no I like my descent too why have we got to do this and oh I hate apps oh I hate apps woe is me you know it's like come on build a bridge walk over it but also the fact that you know tough love fantasy flight games your live presentation of this was an absolute shambles I mean I could go over multiple reasons why that live video you did did not work it did not need to be live you clearly didn't quite know what you were doing on that that was a bad move but I thought right I am finally going to get down and sit down with this now annoyingly there doesn't seem to be a lot of pictures on board game geek for this so I think we're going to have to use the world of google I think to get some decent imagery as to what ah well, actually well I can use this picture here so here we go it's not too bad I'll, I'll find some other ones but basically this is a a new version of descent so this is not continuing on from the second one it's still the same universe but it's a very different style of game essentially you play through a campaign uh, you can play solo with multi-handed or with other players and an app takes you through the story except in this case unlike other games you basically 3d build the terrain so the terrain comes in the box it's cardboard terrain and you assemble it ahead of time. And the idea is, is that as you go through the, the story, you build up the rooms as you go along. So you put like a water overlay down and you put some floor tiles on top. And then there's a staircase maybe, then some barricades and then some trees, you know, So and then you've got the really good miniatures in there. So like really, really good. And you essentially play a dungeon crawl in the normal fashion. Um, the main mechanic revolves around fatigue and like using abilities that cost fatigue and then flipping cards in order to remove the fatigue you know it's an interesting little system and of course there's die rolling to get successes and you know hits and do damage most of which is tracked by the app the app does a phenomenal job in like handling the bookkeeping for you it's basically a case that you really don't need to know all the stuff about modifiers or any of the stuff that kind of like Gloomhaven overloads on you like crazy. Here, you just basically let the app handle that kind of stuff for you. You don't even have to worry about, you know, telling the app it's line of sight. It's like if you know you can see the enemy and you're in range, you just drag an arrow to the thing on the app and away you go. But there's definitely some good stuff with this game. I mean, it's just, it's a really good experience but i do have some reservations you know it looks cool the miniatures are great the cardboard terrain is better up close than it is at a distance but it's not the like the best looking terrain in the world the app is fantastic though the app does a brilliant job of you know doing like in between 
in, in between missions, you get to like upgrade your stuff and spend minerals and get new abilities, which is really cool. Like, you know, when you shop in the town, basically. The art style um, is a hit and miss affair. I mean, I actually, I actually don't mind the art, but it is a very different style to what you've seen before. But I was fine with it, although some of the characters are kind of weird. I mean, you've got basically what looks like a, like a human dragon, and then you've got the elf that looks kind of weird uh, the elfish character looks really weird and then you've got this uh human avenger who's got the stupidest looking helmet in the world you know Bryn. she her helmet is basically like i could i was making so many jokes about the fact that she could just stab people on her helmet and impale them it was just like who wears that who wears that honestly so you know art and aesthetics you know pretty decent but you've got to factor in though that this is a costly game the cheapest you can get this game in the UK is £130. The absolute cheapest you can get it. And it will probably be more than that on certain other stores. It's a lot of money. Especially when I would say that this is a game you should really be playing solo. So don't think that you're going to be sharing the cost with a group of people and say, oh, well, that's fine. You know, we can uh, simply just cut the cost. Uh, I enjoyed my experience, but I don't think I would want to play this as a solo experience i'm sorry as a group experience and the reason is is that the problem with i mean playing the actual game it takes a while it's a long affair especially when you get into the like the town you start like building stuff in between you know it can be quite a lengthy affair but the other issue is that when you go in between missions you've got the whole thing of like oh what am i going to spend these resources on what are we going to upgrade who's going to get these new abilities have you ever tried doing that with a group of players? Good luck with that. Because, you know, getting a group of people to agree on who should get the cool abilities first is not something that happens very easily. It really isn't. And it it will drag the game down to a cruel. As, but, you know, you want to get into the next mission and yet you're having to, like, deal with all this, like, nonsense of, like, well, I want the ability, or, you know, we could bend this on that, and that upgrades your mace, but, you know, I feel like I could use this ability better, and it's like, well, who, how do you decide who gets it first? So, yeah, I'd rather play it solo. I think playing it solo with two characters, and possibly even three, I mean, there's not a lot of stuff you actually have to do for each character, but playing it solo, using the app, going through, I could get a similar experience to something like Lord of the Rings Journeys in Middle-earth, and uh, Mansions of Madness with this game, and I don't know if I need to spend another £130 on another one of these games. As I say, it was a solid gameplay experience, but the writing for the... Uh, like the plot was pretty standard. I mean, this is your utmost generic fantasy dungeon crawl game. So much like Gloomhaven, do not expect a gripping story for this. You know, I thought the writing was kind of subpar at best. You know, we had a bit of a laugh because we were reading it in silly voices, but it's not something that I think I'm going to be going like, oh, I'm so gripped. I want to know what happens next. It's like, nah, let's get on to the next scenario and have a bit of a fun dungeon crawl. But I've got one or two campaigns to go through in Journeys in Middle-earth. I've still got some scenarios to go through in Mansions of Madness. Uh, Journeys in Middle-earth is getting an expansion soon, so that's another campaign to do. I just don't think I need this game. Now, maybe I'll get it further down the line, but £130 is a lot of money for this. Yeah, when I've got other... I've got Tainted Grail campaigns still to do. I've got Nemesis to play. I've got... I was saying I was going to get and redo the Epperfield campaign. That probably will never happen at this point, but... Even so, it's just, mm, I don't know. It's, 
I, I, I do say the game is good. Though, for everybody who's review bombing it and saying this game is garbage, no, no, that, that is not true. I enjoyed the game, and I think it is a solid game with a fantastic app. But the cost and the fact that I don't think it's going to be as good in a group as it will be for solo play, I think is going to put off a few people. This is really something that you're going to buy as a massive investment that you are keen to play. And I do mean a massive investment. I mean, this is a big box for the stuff that you've got to assemble. Uh, not every single game, you've just got to assemble it once, but that's going to take you several hours. But then it was £130 for this set. How much do you think the next set's going to do? Because the box cover says Act 1. Do you think that you're going to have to pay a similar amount for Act 2 and Act 3 and any other DLC content? This is going to be a costly game, and I just don't think it justifies the cost with everything else that's out there. Now, if you don't own any of this other stuff, then fine. Give this one a look. But, of course, £130. Just be prepared. So, I liked it, but I don't know if I loved it. Alright, uh, let's go on to something else where I think I can get it on BGG. Equinox. Equinox is the new Plan B game that I played. And I was keen to see a new game from Plan B until I realised what the game was. Yeah, this was a bit of a disappointment. Not that the game is bad. I mean, the game is beautiful. The artwork on this with the two different box covers and that is gorgeous. I love the way that this looks. And, you know, the cards are beautiful and everything. And it's a very simple game to play. Except Equinox is a re-implementation of Colossal Arena. In fact, it even says on the Board Game Geek post, re-implements Colossal Arena. I was looking for something different. It's not. It is a 99% reprint of it. It just changes up the abilities that some of the characters do, and you've maybe got a bigger selection in the box, but that's it. Basically, what you are doing is it's a, a Battle Royale tournament where you've got all these different creatures that have their own ability, and on this grid, you are basically uh, starting off in like round one, and then there's several rounds of the game, and you are putting your betting chips and playing cards to try and eliminate certain competitors. Uh, as soon as everybody's got a card, the lowest value in that row is eliminated from the competition and you move on to the next round. You can put chips down to say, I'm betting that this one's going to survive until the end. The earlier you do it, the more points it's worth. And it pretty much guarantees you a win if you do a chip early and get it right. I mean, the point differential between doing it early and late is so high that you are basically putting all your eggs in one basket from the get-go and hoping that they survive. If you do, you'll probably win. If not, you'll probably lose. That's just the way it seems. It's fine. I mean, it can lead to a bit of AP with players like, you know, our free-player game, I think, was dragging its heels a bit. And the abilities are nice and easy, and I say the pictures are great, and I like the variety you can do, but it's got the same problems with Colossal Arena as it does the pros. It's very luck of the draw. You are drawing cards from a deck. You may get exactly the stuff you need, like the, the decent values for the one that you want to survive. You might not. And especially near the end of the game, when these competitors are eliminated, you essentially will not have any reason to use the cards that are for people that have been eliminated. But they're not taken out of the deck. So you could draw several cards and they could be useless. Whereas somebody could draw three cards and then end up with everything they need. And that really does swing the end of the game. I think personally that the house rule or the rule should have been that as soon as a competitor is eliminated, you go through the deck and remove all their cards. Granted, that might extend the length of the game a bit, but it would eliminate the luck issue. I think that's a house rule you might want to consider. But yeah, it's 
it's okay, I'll play it, but I'm just not going to seek it out. I'm just disappointed that this wasn't something new. I didn't want a reprint of Colossal Arena. It's not even that popular a game. Colossal Arena is okay. I remember playing it before, but Colossal Arena is what, ranked? What's it ranked? Uh, well, okay, rank 1015. Okay, it's got a better rank than I thought, but I've never seen anyone play it. So I can't imagine people were desperate to get a reprint of it. And the theme is completely tacked on. It's just beautiful artwork. So, yeah, it's fine. But, yeah, if you're a Rhino Knizia fan, you never played Colossal Arena, then you can give it a try and see if it's something for you. But, yeah, I've seen it. Not that interested anymore. Uh, briefly, I will talk about Tinner's Trail because I am doing a Blitz review of it very soon. I just need to play through the solo mode in it, which I have yet to do uh my first inclinations yeah saying a six out of ten at the moment based on multiplayer i want to see if it will go up uh, to a seven as a result of solo play because the the thing is i i've played this with uh three four and five players and i refuse to play this game with four or five players ever again like it really takes way too long this is not a short game it says 60 to 90 minutes i guarantee you you'll be crossing 90 minutes easily with two to three i'm sorry with four to five players hitting to the two hour mark and this game is too light for that kind of length not to say that there's not a lot of depth there's certainly a lot of depth in this game but not for two hours there isn't it's just too long for it it looks absolutely gorgeous, though. I mean, there's a lovely map of uh, Cornwall. The iconography is a little bit on the small side. The graphic design could have been improved in places. Like, there's a lot of wasted space that could have been done to enlarge some of these grid tables and that, particularly the action table and certainly this little development board where you've got to squeeze all these wooden pieces on it, which is a bit irritating. But it's basically a reprint of the old Tinner's Trail, which I never played, but it looks gorgeous. I mean, everything, the artwork and everything is pretty. Lots of wooden pieces. Yes, you've got to dish around cubes, but, yeah, well, it's a light economic game. I'm not surprised by that. And you're mining tin and copper in Cornwall. So you bid auctions for the mines. Uh, you put your mines down. You've got to drain the water so that it's not so costly. Then you extract the tin and copper. You sell it at good prices. And you use the money to buy points. As pretty much the same theme as every light economic game you can get. Uh, designed by Martin Wallace. And it's... And I'm not the biggest fan of Martin Wallace's games, I admit. It's just not my style. But this one has been enjoyable from a mechanic perspective. I'm not the biggest auction game fan. But the, the thing with this is that there's a lot of auctions in it, particularly in the first couple of rounds. You are just doing auction after auction after auction after auction, and it drags the game down when you do auctions because people just don't hurry up and finish the bids. Now, we're not talking power grid levels of stupidly long auctions, but we're not exactly talking you know, bibliose and stockpile levels of quick bidding either. So these can drag the game out, and that's why I refuse to play this with four or five players ever again. Free player was a lot better though. Free player just seemed to move along at a good pace. It finished, I think, at 90 minutes. And I just thought, yeah, you know what? That's a decent amount of players. I've not played it with two. Um, I don't get two player games to the table often, but I'm going to play the solo mode a couple of times and see what that's like before I do a blitz review for it. And I'm thinking I might like the solo mode. I mean, it's done by, uh, I think, David Digby. It, I've read the rules to it. It looks pretty straightforward to do. But I'm curious as to how in practice it's going to simulate an auction with an AI bot. Hmm, we'll have to see. But it is going to, uh, you know, basically be like a two-player game in most respects. So we'll see how that goes. But like I say, I like the game. I just don't overly love it. But then, to be honest, I'm not the biggest uh, economic game fan. So, you know, take that with a pinch of salt. 
but I'll see what it's like with the solo, and then you'll see a Blitz review coming out for this very soon. But I think if you are a Martin Wallace game fan, and you like light economic games, you should definitely give this one a look. And if you are a fan of the original Tinner's Trail, definitely give this one a look, because trust me, this, this version looks hands down 100 million times better than your, suffice to say, god-awful looking one from the, uh, the, the mid-2000s. All right, and that's probably the main free games I want to talk about because I think they were the main free games at the convention. Certainly, I think Alley Cat Games kind of stole the show with a lot of stuff they were showing off. But uh, Descent, Equinox, and Tinner's Trail, I would say, were the three big games that everybody wanted to try out. There was a stand with Cosmos, and they did show off the like the components for Robin Hood, the uh, Spill the Iris nominee. But that's all they did. There was no like decent demo of the game that I could sit down and play. And it's like, well, I'm not going to just look at the game and say it's good. I need to sit down and play it. That's kind of the idea, really. So well, that was a little bit of a letdown. But, you know, as I say, Alley Cat Games, I think, stole the show. They had like Eternal Palace preview on there. They had a couple of Kickstarter projects um, on the horizon. They had their new uh, Paper Dungeons roll and write, which is fine. It's a dungeon crawl roll and write, but I'm not the biggest roll and write fan anyway. But certainly if you are a roll and write fan, you want to give it a look. It's got a better theme than all the rest of them anyway. Uh, pretty much multiplayer solitaire again. But as I say, it has its, it's got some good stuff to it. But yeah, I think these three games were the highlight in terms of, oh, what people were like really interested in getting their hands on. Uh, okay, what next? Uh, the open gaming, basically, what did I play uh, on top of that? Um, I, ha I hung around a lot with Mark Dainty from Not Board Gaming, uh, John Williams from uh, The Hexy Beast, uh, Hilmar, who runs uh, Midgard in Iceland, you know, really lovely chap, uh, Leon, who I know from the uh, uh, Board Game UK Facebook group. You know, th there was quite a few, you know, people I, I was playing games with, and even a couple of randoms who, when I put the word out saying, I'm in open gaming, I want to play games, please come and play games, a couple of people turned up as well. So I had plenty of people who play games with just the the thing that i i get that maybe you might be an introvert or maybe the covid thing is a bit of a worry for you but i was a little bit i was a little bit like downed by the fact that when they have these like cardboard things that you can go right this is i'm looking for gamers so i'm looking to play with gamers and the problem is is that you put those cards up and they might as well be blank because everybody just sticks to their own group. The pairings stay in their pairings, which I don't get. I mean, seriously, if you've come to the expo with your spouse, you can play games at home together. So why don't you play games with other people at a convention? That doesn't make sense to me. But, you know, you, you put the card up and nobody will come sit with you. Everybody's in their own group. Nobody wants to kind of mingle with uh, random other players. Now, at a smaller convention where it's open gaming and nothing else you get more luck with that. But at the expo, I just find that it's a waste of time trying to hope that people will come around. I had to go on Facebook to get people that were interested and most of those people had traveled to the convention by themselves and not with a load of other people. But I had the, those aforementioned names I got to play some games with and believe me, I took a whole bag of games to play uh, with them and these were like my favorite games in the whole world so architects of the west kingdom got a couple of plays with the expansion we got through a five player game of architects of the west kingdom where i was teaching two new players and with the expansion and we got through the actual game in an hour and one minute i think it was an hour and a minute or hour and three minutes something like that so 60 minutes to play a five player game of this game 
sorry, don't tell me that Euro should be two to three hours when you can play a really good Euro game in an hour. I'm sorry, you know, this is why it's a 10 out of 10. Well, all right, there's more reasons why it's a 10 out of 10, but this is what pips Architects over Viscounts for me. I love Viscounts, but Architects pips it because just being able to play it with that many players, even six players. I have played a six-player game of this in 90 minutes. In fact, I mean, the longest I've had is a six-player game in two hours, and that was when I was teaching five new players. But, you know, I've had a six-player game of this in 90 minutes. It's just, it really is a great one for multiplayer. It's just so smooth, turns are quick. It worked so well, and I cannot wait for the new expansion. Uh, what else did I play? I also showed a lot of people, well, a lot of people. I also played repeatedly Abyss. Of course, I'm going to get one of my favorite games ever out to the table. Good old Abyss. Great game. Light Tableau, most people had not played it before. I think Hilmar had played it once. Everybody else was kind of new to it, so I got to show it off. But, oh, I got to show it off all right. Yes, yeah, so all this gorgeous artwork of the lords as you're getting your fish allies and using them to purchase different lords for special powers. And that, my board, my version is like worn out like crazy the amount of times I've got it to the table. And, you know, I've got the both expansions in it, Leviathan and Kraken. So I taught it with those expansions. They picked it up fine, but it's just a thing of beauty on the table. And they loved it. They thought it was a really nice light, you know, tableau building game with some interesting card play, some interesting interaction with the, the other players. And you can get the game done in about an hour. It was uh, really good to get this one out more and more. Oh, I need a drink. My throat's starting to go. There we go. All right, next up, what else did I play? Oh, Whistle Mountain, Whistle Mountain. Oh yes, I got to play this one. I got to play this one several times. Most people have just heard me rave about this game. I've never played it though. There was not one disappointed person with this game. This was a hit. Yes, they were sort of like, Luke, what is it about this game? And within three to four turns, they clicked as to why. The fact that this was like, all right, we're building a scaffold. Now, where do you want the machine? Now, this means that I can go to the space and get all these things. Ah, oh, everything about this game is just so good from a worker placement and engine building thing. The replay value of this is off the charts. Um, I even actually played the solo print and play expansion recently that uh, Luke Laurie has done uh, called Outlaws. And that worked all right. It It's not a short experience. It still takes as long as a typical two to three player game of Whistle Mountain. But it does allow you to play with a decent solo AI that takes some uh, design choices from the Ghosts of Eldervale in terms of here's some card actions, roll a die, which card goes off and you do it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I blitzed the AI, but then I had a pretty good strategy going and I've got some experience with this game. I've heard of people who have tried it and had much closer games. So I think it just depends on what the AI does and what strategy you have. But I enjoyed it though, because it meant that I could basically play this great worker placement game and you know do it alone and like try out different strategies and different powers and upgrades but playing it at the expo was fantastic i mean you know everyone enjoyed it i think i had a three player game and a four player game of this and everybody was enjoying all the worker placement stuff i was trying a different strategy i mean i mean i won pretty much every game i played at the expo bar one party game and a game of bastille i didn't win that one but yeah, that, but the, the thing is, these are my Euro games and I was teaching newer players. I've got more experience with them, so I kind of had the uh, the home field advantage. But really good game this is with all the different machines that key off. It looks great on the table. 
you know, all this middle grid will look completely different every single game. And it's just great when you get these opportunities like, hmm, if I go there, I get to trigger that machine, get that resource, trigger that machine, trigger that machine, get this resource, I can then spend this for that or play this card. Oh, you can create some really rewarding power turns and I love it. This and Whistle Stop are two games that really don't get enough buzz. I cannot believe this doesn't get more buzz than it does. This game is fan, fan, fantastic. Check out my review earlier in the year if you want me to see me even go more hyper about it. And then finally, I got several games, I think three games, in fact, of... Actually, no, finally, I'll talk about a couple more games, because what are we on to? Uh, 40 minutes? Yeah, I might talk about one or two other games. See how my throat does. But uh, Runestones, I might need to change the rating to this, actually, because I think this is getting on to a 10 out of 10, really, for me now, with the expansions. But Runestones, underrated deck builder. I played this three times over the weekend. Uh, with some people and uh, like same people mainly but that's because we can crank the game out in about an hour and people wanted to play it again but this game is so 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 good i cannot believe it took me so long to get introduced to this this it looks gorgeous on the table I and mean, these photos don't do it justice but this great little deck builder where you simply just play cards get gems use the gems to buy artifacts trade them in for points but they get you these special powers that are game breaky powers that you get for the rest of the game eight of them in the base game get the second expansion um what was it called forest kingdom or something like that i think it's something, a forest something oh enchanted forest and you get eight more so you can have loads of replay value from those rune stones but the game is so smooth it's so streamlined there's just like no ambiguity in it at all it just clocks on a nice pace and as long as you don't have people who ap it won't outstay its welcome either it's just so 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 good but the thing that with this game that is like the twist is if I can find some more copies of the cards again, which is proving rather difficult because everything's always wanting to show off the awesome board. And I've pimped this up with some E-Raptor insert, but also some E-Raptor overlays for the player boards like I did with Eldritch Horror. Oh, really, really, really good. But come on, where's some pictures of the cards? Give me some cards. Honestly, seriously, who takes these photos? Who, who doesn't realize that the cards are a big deal? Here we go. There we go. Right, let's take a look at this one. So the cards have got, firstly, they're both, they're identical on either side for the abilities because they cater for left and right-handed people. How many deck builders do you know that do that? My friend who is left-handed is very uh, keen on this fact. So yes, no matter what hand you play, no matter what hand you're dominant with, you'll be able to fan the cards in any way you like. But the idea is, is that you play two cards at a time when you, well, you either spend to get more cards. The mana points at the top, spend as many cards as you like, total up the mana points of a single color, and you can buy cards. Very nice and simple. But then the play cards is the best bit. You play the cards, you resolve both abilities in any order you like, and these are pretty generic ones. These are your starter cards, but they do get some more interesting abilities with the actual ones you buy. But the highest value that you see on these cards, 101, 100, 102, 76, whatever, and you, the one that is highest out of the two cards you play gets trashed in your deck. And it's unlikely to ever come back. So all your cards have a shelf life. Depending on how you play them. That's such a cool concept. Because normally I'm playing deck builders to trash cards out of my deck and make it more lean. But here, it does it for you. So you have to buy cards in order to keep your deck up. Unless you've managed to get a strategy where you only need four cards. But then, even if you only have four cards, you're going to have to trash a card each time. So you need to get more cards to keep the momentum going. Such a cool twist on deck building. So simple. I don't know why no one else has taken and used it in a taken it and used it in a different deck builder. But yeah, this needs more love. 
This is such an underrated deck builder. It is now one of my favorite games I love to play. It is one of my favorite deck builders now. It started off as a 7 out of 10, and then with expansions and more plays, it's just shot up to 9, possibly even a 10 out of 10. There's very little I can fault with this game now, and I, yeah, you know what? I think after this time, I mean, spoiler alert when I do the Beyond the Gaze game video, although saying that, I've got a blit, I've got a detail review coming out soon for the main game. Because people have asked me, you know, do I want, uh, you know, have I ever reviewed this? And I haven't. So I'm going to. There is a detailed review in the editing suite already for the original game. And I'm going to do a Beyond the Base game video shortly after for the two expansions. So as you can see, it's got Nocturnal Creatures and Enchanted Forest. And I've also ordered the Queenie one from Queen directly. But that's just two more runestones, whatever. No big deal. But yeah, the two main expansions I have got, I have played, they are in my game. I teach it with both of them every time I teach the game. And I will be giving my thoughts on those two expansions as to why they potentially improve the game for me. And if they do any more expansions for this, then I'll be certainly jumping in on that. But yeah. So, oh yes, I wanted to mention a couple of other games. Let me take a swig first. A couple of last minute games. Uh, as I play... Uh, I'll mention two in particular, I think. So first up, finally got to play Fox and the Forest Duet. Yes, I, I decided I wanted to buy a trick-taking game. I wanted a small card game, and I like trick-taking, but I haven't got a lot of trick-taking games because the theme doesn't really gel with the mechanic, but I like the crew, and I like trick-taking stuff in general. And two-player games are hard for me to get to the table, but I thought I wanted to buy something at the convention. I mean, I just didn't want to buy any games, but I did buy... Uh, Bastille for a tenner because it was on clearance so nice cheap game uh, to try out I thought even if I hated the game I'd spend the tenner to get a decent play out of it uh, bought the Snowdonia master set which is over there unboxed and fully uh, like dividers and everything so that was a bit more of a impulse buy but I thought for 70 pound with the free Isle of Man expansion and errata cards in the box for those components and all that content even if I don't play it that often, I think £70 was a bargain for that game. So, yeah, that's definitely something that I, I do like the game. Yes, it's a train game, shock horror, but it's not really... It's train-themed, and yeah, the theme isn't the first thing I gun for, but I like the mechanics of the game. Tense worker placement, the weather mechanic is good, you know, the timing, the interaction with other players, I think it's a solid game. Yeah, I don't care that you're building a train track and there's trains that you can get, whoopee, but, you know, I like the... I like the setting. I mean, I've, I've yet to walk up Snowdonia. It's on my list of priorities to do. Next time I'm in Wales, I need to walk up there. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like the game itself. But anyway, Fox in the Forest duet. Two-player trick-taking game co-op. There is uh, the Fox in the Forest, which is a two-player head-to-head trick-taking game, which I'm sure if it's anything like this will still be fun. But I wanted to try this one out. And I thought, for what did I get it for? Like 12 quid? I thought, 12 quid, why not? You know, nice, cheap two-player game. This is a trick-taking game where, very much like a normal trick-taking game, it's like play a card, follow the suit, trumps, beat it, that kind of thing. But what you are doing is you essentially have a track with... The component quality is kind of basic, but the cards are nice. But the you have this track, a forest track with a counter on it and these gem tokens. And the idea is, is that you have to get all the gems off the board before the end of three rounds. What happens is that you play a trick-taking game with your partner and you can't communicate tactics and strategy, but... Whoever wins the trick moves the marker in their direction, but the number of spaces it moves is dictated by the paw prints on the top of the card. 
though it's not enough to just simply win the trick, it also needs to move the right distance. And so as you, you know, yum up these gem tokens, you realize that you need to be very specific with where it goes and how it moves. So you gotta think hard about what card you play as your trick. Sometimes you might wanna throw away a trick. You know, it's like, I need it to move up your end. I can't have it move back my end. So I'm gonna play a really low card with a lot of paw prints on it. I need it to go your way. And hopefully your partner's on the same wavelength as you and understands what they need to do. There's a loss condition though. I mean, if you don't finish in three rounds, you lose. But also if you put these four forest counters on the uh, board, then you lose. And basically that happens if you go too far on the track that you fall off it effectively. You don't wanna do that. You wanna, like, you wanna go as far as you can, without falling off. But I just thought this was such a charming little game. I mean, it's got lovely artwork on the cards. You know, some of the normal cards are quite basic. And like I say, it looks like a normal pack of playing cards, really. But I like the uh, the number cards that they've got. I like the simplicity of the rules. Uh, tailorable difficulty. But the artwork on some of these, I mean, the, the, the normal cards already look nice. But I love these. These ability cards that you can get you know the foxes the the gift the royal hair the royal heir or something the gazelle the artwork is so beautiful it's a very pretty trick-taking game really simple rules i'm going to keep this one it was an 8 out of 10 based on first impressions it's not going to get a full review but you know i'm just saying that i played it and i thought for 12 pound this was a very nice light trick-taking game that i'm going to keep in the collection even if it doesn't get played that often i'm going to keep it because I would love for the day if I could ever meet, you know, a girlfriend that's into games and she's like, oh, have we got any two players we could play? Fox in the Forest duet. I'd love to be able to show this one. Even if, even if the girlfriend wasn't a, a gamer, I would love to try and get them into games with something like this because this is gateway level. It's co-op. It's a pretty charming game. I really liked it. Really solid. And very quickly, I want to talk about Bastille. The last game to talk about. This is, whoop, I typed it in wrong there. Bastille is a queen game. It was on clearance for £20. And I thought, I'll probably buy it. But then it went down to £10 on Sunday. And I thought, I'll buy it. I barely heard of it. But a couple of people had said it's actually not that bad a game. So it's like, okay, fine. And I like the fact that it said three to four players. I.e. it didn't try to sell it to more people by doing it for five. And it didn't try to kid itself by thinking it could be a two-player game. Problem is, I wonder if that's why it didn't sell so well. But Bastille is a very standard beige euro in terms of its theme and that it's sent during i think the french revolution and the idea is is that you've got these markers uh one to four and you place them on the various spots on the board to do various actions and they're pretty generic actions like upgrade your markers because the the influence rating of the marker dictates who goes first in that or who gets priority so you can upgrade them as the game goes on you can acquire cards of various people that have different symbology that you're collecting for points. Uh, you've got this uh, Bastille track that you're moving around to get more points and various weapons to equip your characters because you get negative points if you don't. There's a weird bag building element where you put cubes in a bag and every interim scoring, you draw cubes out and you might get some bonuses. It's it's a very dry, you know, cut and paste beige euro. But there's some good and bad aspects to this. The The good side is the tension for spots is very high. I mean, you've got those uh, markers that you can upgrade throughout the game, but it's not just enough to get there first. It's a case of, well, if I go there first, I know that my opponent is sitting there with a three. I've only got a two. So if they want to overtake me, they still can. 
Should I upgrade to a three as well? Because if I go there first, I get priority for going there first. It's, you know, there's a lot of tension. You've got to pay attention to your opponents, you know, because you could get blocked out if you're not careful. Uh, the game itself has got very simple rules. It's not difficult to follow. Everything is pretty clear on the board. And, you know, as a beige worker placement euro goes, I thought it did the job fine. You know, it would have been a 7 out of 10, I think, overall. But the thing that's dropped it down to a 6 so far is I really did not like this bag building part here. One of the elements, as I said, you drop cubes into it, and on the interim scoring, you draw cubes from this bag, and you get these bonuses at the bottom. And you can leave them in the bag to get the lower bonus, or you can take them out of the bag entirely to get the big bonus. And then there's more at the very end of the game. That element is complete luck-driven. You know, everything else is tense decisions by the players. Uh, what cards come out affects everybody. Uh, you get to look through the bonus objective card deck when you go there, so you're not just drawing off the top of the deck to hope that you get an objective that works. No, you get to find an objective you're gunning for. But this bag-building element just doesn't make sense. You know, we had, you know, Hilmar there who was just drawing cube after cube after cube of his out of the bag. And granted, he had the most in there, but not by a massive amount. And on law of averages, you should still pull other people's cubes out. I wasted time putting a bunch of cubes in there and they barely got drawn out. So that was time that could have been spent elsewhere. And, you know, he kind of wiped the floor with us. And a lot of that, I think, was down to the fact that he was able to get a ton of bonuses from those cubes not due to any like extra planning or anything it was just basically luck of the draw and i'm just not a big fan of how that worked you know i think the game could use something else in place of that you know it just seemed a little bit on the swingy side but it didn't destroy the game but it is one of those things that i'm a little bit hmm i wish it wasn't there but it is a short game it takes about an hour to play so yeah a bit of luck element in an hour is not a massive deal but yeah it is there you're just gonna have to bear it in mind and i couldn't care less about the theme quote unquote that it has not that it has a lot of theme in this game but this was fine i mean for a tenor i'll hang on to this for a little bit and see how it does after more plays worst case scenario i give it to my game cafe but for a tenor this was worth trying out. I want to try out more of the Queen Games catalog because I have not tried a lot of their games. They tend to not get a lot of buzz. But there's some gems in there. I mean, runestones, no pun intended. But, you know, Alhambra is really good. The Copenhagen Roll and Write I actually tried with my friend over there. And that was actually surprisingly pretty good. Why buy Copenhagen when you've got the Roll and Write version? But yeah, Bastille was just a nice purchase for a tenor. I would like to try out some more of their catalog. For a beige euro, this was pretty decent, but just not overly great and that bag building mechanic is a bit annoying right Whew. oh boy that's a lot of talking if i want to do any more reviews today i need to give my throat a rest maybe hit the uh gym for an hour go do some swimming but uh yeah that is my overview of the uk games expo it was still great i love the fact that i got to meet a lot of people there i love the fact that i got to play lots of my favorite games of all time and try out some new stuff i will be at kcon which is an open gaming event in Milton Keynes at the end of this month. So I hope to see some of you UK folk there. Um, I will also be going to Essen. I haven't worked out how I'm getting there yet, but I do have a hotel booked, so I can go there and I am looking forward to that. But I would also like to know if a publisher needs any help because, you know, I'm thinking that because the Dice Tower aren't going to be there in any official capacity... I would probably have time to help out a publisher and teach some games. And if that's the case, then, you know, getting some perks like, you know, cheaper board and that would be quite handy. So I don't know if Ignacity wants anybody to help out on the portal stand or whether Queen Games would like someone to teach runestones. 
Oh, were there any other publishers going there that could use someone to demo some great games? I'd be interested in getting in touch and uh, seeing if, you know, there's a slot for me as an English speaker. So, you know, I need to do some uh, research on that because uh, time is getting on. But I will be at Essen. Uh, there's a Shake, Battle and Roll, which is a very tiny convention happening in Southampton. I'll be there in uh, early October as well before Essen. And as far as I'm aware, the only other convention this year is GridCon. Uh, GridCon, Paul Grogan's one that he hosts down in Columpton area. That will be happening in November, and I will definitely be there for that. So, uh, yeah, conventions are coming back, and that's a good thing. Oh, I've been waiting so long for conventions to return and the normality. You know, double jabbed, going back to conventions, seeing people. You know, if you see me at a convention, you have permission to hug me. I am totally down for hugs. I have missed out hugs for so long. You know, don't be afraid. Don't have to do this elbow bashing weird stuff or whatever. Just give me a hug. Give me a hug if you want a hug. So yeah, that's probably it for now. I'm going to wrap this episode up in just under an hour. That's not too bad for a runtime. So thank you for listening. Thank you for checking out the show. I hope that uh, if you went to the UK Games Expo, it was good for you. But maybe let us know in the comments what you thought of the expo. Did it what, did it meet your expectations? Uh, were you disappointed that it was a smaller show than before? And did you try any games that I didn't mention that you want to call some attention to? So let us know in the comments what you think. Or are you going to a convention this year, like Essen and that, or one in America, and you want to talk about it? Then let us know in the comments as well. That's it for me. I'm going to sign off. Don't forget to have Hashtag support creators. If you can, take a look at my Patreon. Every penny goes to help support the channel and keep it going. And I appreciate everybody who has signed up to the Patreon, no matter how much you pledge. Uh, also, don't forget to check out the content on this channel. There is stuff coming out for Cryptid, uh, Undaunted, uh, Tinner's Trail. Uh, what's the other one I was doing? Uh, the King is Dead. Uh, the Runestones expansions, as I mentioned. The Runestone main game. And I have finished doing my top 100 almost i've already done all the pub meeple ranking stuff i just need to go through the spreadsheet and check it all makes sense do any last minute corrections like maybe hang on that game should be higher than that one that one's not there why have i forgotten this game and just do the final tweaks and then i can start doing my top 100 so there's a lot coming and also don't forget to check out the live stream that i'm doing with paul grogan on tuesday about our thematic euros lots of content coming good to get back in the saddle and I'm looking forward to it. So take care and remember as always, it's only a game. Bye for now. Love you all.